This is the Frontier Podcast, powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at The Frontier Pod. When Kent Dixon founded Unomi just over five years ago, smart devices were still an obscure concept. But the likes of Alexa and Google Assistant helped change that. And now Unomi is playing a major role in crafting cloud-based solutions for the smart homes of the future. Unomi's vision was to help make life in the new smart home environment more convenient for everyday people who are not necessarily tech-oriented. Under Dixon's guidance, Unomi is helping to marry together all smart devices in a home, creating a coherent infrastructure rather than a confusing mess. This intriguing chat with Dixon sheds a lot of light on the challenges of the smart home niche and provides real insight into what our homes may look like in the very near future. Kent, great to have you. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, Ledge, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Fantastic. Good to have you. So would you mind giving maybe a two or three minute intro of yourself and your work so the audience can get to know you a little bit? Yeah, sure. Uh, Again, my name is Kent. Uh, I am co-founder and CEO of a company called Yonomi. Uh, We are co-headquartered in Boulder, Colorado and Austin, Texas, two pretty nice places. uh, I myself uh, have uh, been in the software business for 25 or so years at this point. Uh, I, I, this is the fourth startup I've been involved in. First time founder, however, had some some uh, big successes in some of these startups and a few failures along the way. Uh, this one has been going on for about five and a half years at this point. We started in uh, late 2013. Um, and, uh, uh, we, uh, we wanted to sort of tackle the arena of, of how the, the smart home was going to be for consumers, for regular old consumers, not just geeks like we are, um, (laughs) but for folks like, you know, my mom and my uncle and, uh, folks like that, who maybe, uh, aren't technology people, uh, but nevertheless are inevitably, uh, living in spaces with connected devices and how uh, is that going to make their life better? And uh, we were concerned uh, that it was just going to make everybody's life more complicated. And so we decided to inject ourselves into the fray uh, to see if we could uh, have an impact on the outcome. Well, so how's that, how's that turned out? So, you know, <laughs> five years along, I mean, you, uh, you predated the, Alexas and Google Assistants of the world. So that's uh, exactly right. Yeah. You've seen a few things. There's been excellent exponential shift in that space. Since Indeed. Then. Has, yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, what's the world look like between 2013 and now? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's quite uh, remarkable in many ways that, that uh, the world has changed. You know, the, these voice assistants didn't exist in a mass market way when we got started with the company. We weren't even forecasting it to come as early as it did. Um, uh, but nevertheless, we had this sort of open agnostic vision for, uh, for how connected devices and services that affect people in physical spaces uh, really needed to work together and kind of built a, you know, this sort of very flexible platform. And so uh, when interesting things like voice assistance came around, we were able to, uh, you know, embrace them and bring them into that environment really quickly 
Um, and uh, interestingly, that's the thing that has created the growth in this space. So we knew we were early in the space and it was still an early adopter market, but we were you know, playing the long game for when it would go mainstream. But the thing that caused it to go mainstream was the voice assistance. Sure. And there's always some trigger, you know, like the iPhone that drops out of nowhere where you kind of go like that. That was, you know, yeah. a pivotal change. That's moment. right. That's uh, right. And Alexa was that for the home. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, sort of, I guess, uh, runner up points for, for Siri for giving people the idea, but not the best implementation. But um, right. you know, so I'm curious, you know, my, my limited awareness of, of smart home technology going back, you know, I, I remember the early adopters in the space, you know, kind of almost having their own like server closet, you know, where all these things needed to, to interface and you had it all wired up, you know, behind the walls in your house. Now IOT, you know, fast forward and, you know, you're connecting your toaster and, and your toilet seat and, and God knows what else, you know, to, to the, I, I guess I'll say quote unquote smart ecosystem because some of the stuff um, you know, isn't so smart and you have issues where you're bricking your doorbell and you know, all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, how do you guys make sense of this and, and how do you tie things together that it's just, it's absolutely ubiquitous now? Uh, well, the, the key, you know, so we take a bunch of lessons from things that have gone before, which is the, the history of software, right? You know, standing on the shoulders of giants or, uh, old wine in new bottles, whatever you want to call it. Um, uh, but, you know, middleware is a thing that's been around for a while. Um, most of my career, I was working on some form of middleware or another, which really is just how to take these uh, uh, heterogeneous things, which are mostly proprietary or maybe a variety of different standards or schemas or what have you, uh, and, and uh, marry them together somehow in the middle, ideally in real time, uh, into something that suddenly looks homogeneous. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, what we did sort of in the enterprise middleware space uh, back in the day when I was at BEA Systems working on WebLogic, um, uh, we're now doing essentially for uh, connected devices in the home today. Right, right. So do you have a taxonomy or a data model that sort of unifies all of these uh, disparate APIs, I'm reminded when I say that of like a, a Zapier kind of yeah. paradigm. So Yeah, yeah, I think Zapier is, a, is an appropriate um, uh, 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 analogy to what we do. Uh, they are doing that for the enterprise, I think, and, and for various things that are out there. And so you can plug them in and have them, uh, you know, eventually to a consumer, if you will, uh, appear to be of a common taxonomy. Uh, so that's exactly what we're doing. Um, but the, you know, it's interesting device types, you know, they're you know, probably, you know, a dozen different types of light bulbs, uh, mm. that we integrate with today. Um, and each one has defined their own sort of schema, uh, and their own proprietary API. And, but nevertheless, they all have the common thread, right? On is on, uh, off <laughs> right. is off. Right. Uh, you know, dim, dim is, is dim. And if they support color, well, then you can apply those types of traits as well. Sure. Um, so, so bit by bit, you know, we're building out, uh, you know, all those device types. And uh, it, it's fun because, you know, there's a, a, a lot of obvious ones like light bulbs and door locks and thermostats. 
Um, but then you start to, you know, encounter uh, really innovative entrepreneurial uh, types of people who are rethinking, you know, common devices. Uh, and, uh, 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 you know, dog feeders and things like that. You know, um, uh, you know is it a switch? Well, maybe if you look at it, you know, with you, when you squint your eyes, you know, there's sort of an on and off to it or a feed or no feed, but really it's, it's kind of, it's a unique sort of device type. So more and more we're adding, uh, new devices that, uh, you know, uh, in many cases we wouldn't have predicted, uh, that would be in that taxonomy, but, you know, we built this, uh, from the get go, knowing that there was a lot of things that we didn't know and that were unknowable and that, uh, new interesting things would emerge and that we needed to have a framework that could embrace those when they did. So how do you even begin to, you know, encapsulate a new type of device? It must be a, a pretty deep taxonomy. I'm thinking about like, you know, the Latin names for all the genuses and species and stuff. I mean, it right. would be, be that level of, of complexity there. Yeah, yeah, uh, it 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 can get to that level for sure, but uh, uh, yeah, you you kind of start with at the end of the day, uh, these devices, at least as far as we're concerned, because we're really interested in the automation, um, the integration and automation of them. You know, we're not trying to uh, be a platform for video content uh, and uh, or gaming or anything else. Uh, but for the physical devices that you know otherwise uh, manage and, and 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 control a household, and they do all have you know their actuators and sensors. You know mm-hmm. that's basically at the end of the day, every device is one or both of those things. Um, and then you just sort of expand from there. Right? They're just uh, increasingly elaborate uh, actuators or sensors. So like plants and animals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So yeah, I mean, software challenges obviously abound there. How have you gone about, you know, solving the, the software staffing and, um, you know, build sort of pipelines and necessary items there to, to move fast enough because this, this ecosystem is, is changing like crazy. I'm thinking like CES and, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on, right, in, in this space. So, I mean, how you got to ingest it all real quick. You got to figure out how, mm-hmm. which, which API is exposed or not and which ought to be consumed or, or not and which things are uh, potentially a security disaster that you should never try to integrate with. Yep. <laughs> that, what is the strategic roadmap on that? Yeah, well, and you guessed it. Um, you know, the, it, it stuff's all over the map. And uh, some things should be integratable, but they're not because uh, uh, the authors of that device really didn't think through it correctly, maybe didn't build uh, APIs, didn't build a cloud service for the thing, uh, and therefore uh, it's not really integratable, or if it is, you have to do it in some way that maybe isn't going to be very reliable um, or secure. Um, And so as a result, some of the things are just immediately off the list because they're either not viable or they're just simply unwise to sort of add to the ecosystem. <laughs> or they're uh, broadcasting their admin password over your Wi-Fi. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we, uh, security obviously 
and, and privacy are big concerns for us. We think consumers really care about these things quite a bit. Uh, and they're going to be the things that make the IoT fail uh, if we get the if if we the industry get those wrong, and so uh, at the end of the day, you know, as an integrator, we can't make the end devices uh, by ourselves more secure. Uh, but our job is sort of like the Hippocratic Oath: uh, first, do no harm. Like we can't make the situation worse. Uh, in some cases, you know, we might be able to bolster it a bit. Uh, but, uh, but the devices are what they are. So in some cases, yeah, we, we just don't want to be associated with devices that have a poor user experience or otherwise unsecure or not really, uh, caring enough about the user experience. Um, so, uh, I guess what I'd say is, uh, that we're constantly, uh, evaluating the landscape of, uh, potential things that we can integrate with. Uh, one place that you quickly get to is acceptance that you'll never do it all. Um, and that's okay. Uh, you know, our mantra has been and continues to be that, you know, me will work with, uh, any connected device that is likely to come into a mass market consumer's home. So a few qualifiers in that sentence, right? Uh, likely and mass market. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, Does it need to meet a certain threshold before you even think about it? I mean, mass market would indicate, I don't know, what, you know, X hundred thousand units or something. Uh, uh, yes. Well, and ge- geographical is the other qualifier mm-hmm. about what mass market means. Is it mass market in the United States or what if it's mass market in, uh, in Japan? Uh, or what if it's mass market in, uh, in uh, I don't know, uh, 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 Peru. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, that's the interesting thing about IOT and the smart home is the addressable market for it is every home on the planet that has electricity. Uh, and, uh, and so, uh, so it's not necessarily, uh, we're qualified by, by numbers, but just sort of on momentum. So in some cases we have integrated with products that aren't even on the market yet. So, You'd say, well, they don't have an audience yet. Well, no, but yet we know the firm or the company, sometimes a startup, sometimes a big company, and we believe that this thing is going to be hit. We believe in it, and we want to be uh, part of that from the get-go. We want to help enable some success there. And obviously, we grow uh, when these products grow as well. So sometimes it's a bet, it's a hunch that this is actually going to be a mass market thing and it's worth doing. Uh, In other cases... It's already clearly shown itself to be a mass market thing. Uh, you know, Philips Hue, uh, Philips Hue was on, honestly the first thing we, we did. That was already obviously a mass market thing or on its way to being there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, when they're an obvious uh, uh, success already, we're, uh, we're scrambling to get there. But in some cases, again, those APIs don't exist uh, or they're not usable in a way that's going to have a good user experience for us. So we have to wait and sometimes work with those companies. Um, and, you know, along the way, so this is part of the startup uh, journey and the things that you learn along the way, we always had this vision about integrating uh, and automating the things that are in the house. But we, what we learned uh, from a bunch of these device manufacturers who were making things is that they, they actually are not all good at creating APIs or uh, hosting reliable cloud services um, and as a result, we spun up a product 
uh, for some of these guys when, when you know, we're talking with them and say, okay, well, we're going to need this, this, and this from you in order to build this connector. And they say, oh, yeah, we're not there yet. It'll be another year or we're not really sure how to do that or we're hiring to get this done. And in those cases, we can say, well, look, we've got this very straightforward turnkey thing that you can deploy essentially tomorrow uh, and, and, and get on track with this. And, you know, it's not a requirement, you know, uh, but it is something that we found there was a surprisingly large market for. Uh, that, so that's uh, like an SDK that you can develop your APIs and infrastructure around so that it can be publicly accessible? Yeah, it's, it's a deployable framework. It's, mm-hmm. it's a server. It's a serverless um, uh, solution that just deploys on top of AWS and it's got all the commissioning and provisioning and uh, remote API access and storage and things like that that you need. And all the building blocks, of course, are there in AWS. And we assumed at the time, like, oh, all these companies probably employ good software engineers so you can go build this stuff out and they'll all build these bespoke things. And, uh, and then we kind of figured out, like, well, why, why does everybody need to be, build a bespoke thing? And furthermore, they actually don't have the talent to do this in many cases and shouldn't be doing that. They're really good at hardware design. Maybe they're great at firmware. Uh, maybe they're even excellent at networking. But, uh, but they don't have to be experts at uh, cloud computing. So we've just got a thing. They can push a button, uh, deploy it to, the, to AWS. We'll actually manage it 24-7 because we're in the business of doing that anyway. Um, and uh, it's cheaper, faster, and better for everybody, we found. Hey, everyone. This is Kelsey with Gun.io. You know how when you're trying to fill a position and the hiring process can be super expensive, time-consuming, and takes away from your normal workflow? At Gun.io, we take care of this for you by providing senior-level, triple-vetted engineers in about 48 hours. If you're thinking about hiring an engineer, head on over to gun.io slash podcast and learn more today. That was sort of a surprise discovery along the way. That wasn't one of the products we had on our roadmap, but uh, uh, suddenly it came into view and like, oh my gosh, we just have to do this because otherwise, you know, the rest of our business is going to be held back. And, uh, and, uh, 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 and obviously then there's a, there's a revenue opportunity here too, that we'd otherwise be missing. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you kind of organically discovered the need for vertical expansion to enable your core business and you got paid for it. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good find. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What was the, what was the whiteboard session like to get there? Because that's, um, that had to be a pivotal moment there. That's a little bit of a, of a pivot, I guess. And, um, or an, an additional pivot at least. Yeah. Well, it was certainly an expansion of what we were doing. I think, I think we, we kept on the track that we were on from the beginning. This is what I was going to say initially. One interesting thing, even though the world has changed in five and a half years and what IOT looks like and who the players are and, uh, how people are consuming it. Um, the vision, you know, for having this open agnostic way to make everything work together uh, is still held really true. I mean, you know, that original, you know, mission statement has remained largely unchanged, but it has expanded uh, in, in that uh, we're also offering uh, this additional platform that isn't uh, by itself about integration and automation of of third-party devices, it's actually a, how to get a first-party device to be a uh, good citizen of that third-party ecosystem. Right. So, I'm curious if you have had uh, 
thoughts and experiences around that. I mean, you basically set a standard in a taxonomy, which um, on the one hand is a, a strategic intellectual property asset. But on the other hand, we all know that standards get better when everybody else can, you know, be at the table and contribute and can also use them. So I mean, how have you threaded that? Because it's, it's cumbersome to become a standards body. Um, and once mm -hmm. you, once you sort of let the world kind of sit at the table, you know, you, you kind of open yourself to competitive pressures. Uh, but it's also, you know, a really good way to expand. So what's that thinking been like? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, uh, we love standards, um, and in my career, I've participated in in building and, and running a number of standards bodies. But um, uh, we sort of uh, made the guess um, uh, a long time ago that in our space, in the consumer IoT space, that it was. Um, that a single standard and taxonomy uh, that, you know, we could get the world to agree on uh, was probably never going to happen. Um, uh, you know, there, you know, there's some hope that there maybe will be just a few standards, less than 10, hopefully. Um, but I think the reality is that uh, uh, there, there's nothing requiring the community to congregate around those standards anymore. Um, uh, and folks are just going headlong towards creating product and getting it out there and validating that consumers actually do want a robot vacuum cleaner or whatever it is and are unconcerned about the interoperability. And so, uh, uh, that's the whole reason we exist. And so we make that interoperability happen sort of, uh, you know, we do that real time translation, uh, across those things. So yes, we have created the taxonomy. And it looks very similar to some of the other attempts at standards out there, OCF and, and things like that. It's, uh, uh, or dot dot. And, you know, there's, again, there's, there's a dozen of these things. Uh, so they all start to look pretty similar. So our job as a translator in some ways gets easier when they become more similar. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, maybe I'm just a pessimist, but uh, uh, I just don't believe that there will ever be a one. A one. And, um, and I, in previous lives, not at this company, but in previous lives, I've, I've wasted very good years and brain cells <laughs> uh, by sitting through standards committee meetings and arguing about, right. uh, about uh, uh, is this a shall or a should? Uh, type of thing. And, uh, and the politics that go into that. So, well, you know, the good uh, thing about yeah. standards is my standard is always better than your standard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if you don't like it, you just go create a new one. Um, right. right. So, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So at any rate, so we've kind of created our own and, uh, what's interesting, uh, how we've seen the APIs of third parties, while they're still technically proprietary, they are becoming more similar because there's enough of us out there talking about it in a similar way about what archetypes are and traits and things like that, that, uh, that, you know, they're, they're awfully similar. And so when you get to doing translation, it's, uh, in some ways it's getting easier. How have you, um, how have you thought about that, uh, the translation layer there and, and helping other people to, be good citizens. It reminds me of a conversation I've had relative to healthcare technology, whereby, 
you know, um, most of the, the bodies who are, you know, thinking about and trying to democratize the data in healthcare are thinking about machine to machine architecture being like the best way, like if you're going to build a thing, make your data machine readable. Right. Is, is that the guidance that adheres to this space as well? Uh, without a doubt. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so how have you, how have you guys actually worked the the software layer here? So you talked about AWS, you know, obviously that that's uh, an important stack and pretty soon all of us are just going to say, you know, we all, AWS is like McDonald's, you know, it's just on every corner and we all depend on it one way or another. But um, curious about your software stack and, you know, other technologies and tools that you use in there to, you know, enable the, the rapid development. Sure. Well, you know, our integration and automation engine uh, that does all the third-party uh, uh, automation uh, is uh, is probably what you would imagine a very high level. It's very microservicey. Um, uh, there is a connector framework in there, and that's where the the uh, translations happen, kind of coming and going. Uh, and then it gets into a normalized uh, later and layer and and data store, uh, and then there's uh, Rules engines and message buses and all these things run as uh, as as microservices. So you know they can ind- each independently scale, um, loosely coupled, and all those things that you like to do in software. Um, and uh, uh, and then we've we've put a whole lot of you know monitoring and ops and uh, convenience layers and and then obviously APIs and SDKs around that so people can consume them mm-hmm. in, in interesting ways. Uh, uh, and that's all, you know, built on, you know, AWS and using, you know, uh, you know, in some cases using things like Heroku for certain services and, uh, and, uh, and, and using, uh, you know, AMQP types of message buses and, and whatnot. Um, but it was interesting when we went about, um, building out the, uh, the, the products for first-party device makers that I mentioned earlier, we call that thin cloud. Uh, one of the things that we knew was going to be really important, I mean, it's important across consumer IoT, and I think people uh, maybe don't quite understand how acute this issue is, uh, but cost is a very big deal. Um, if you're a device manufacturer and you make a light bulb, you sell that light bulb for 10 or $20, that light bulb, which is an LED, of course, uh, is probably going to last for 10 years, maybe 20. Uh, and the implication of buying a smart light bulb is it's going to stay on the network and stay connected to your other things. Uh, that implies that uh, there's some level of cloud computing going on there. Uh, and, uh, and yet, that uh, consumer who bought that $10 light bulb isn't paying a subscription for that thing. No way, right? Uh, uh, so how do you as a manufacturer think about, uh, or contemplate 10 years worth of cloud services for that light bulb that, uh, that you have to capture somehow in that original $10. So that's sort of a big deal. Uh, and, uh, and so when, as we built out the stack for, for hosting those things in, in thin cloud, uh, we did everything with sort of the most modern, uh, highly efficient architectures. So, you know, serverless is, you know, a big 
uh, buzzword these days, but this is very much a great use case for serverless technology, which is like never waste uh, resources at all. Like don't be spending on resources uh, if you don't have to be at any given time. So like idle shut down. compute units. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No idle compute ever. Um, and so, uh, so we built it in a really interesting way that allows that light bulb manufacturer to be able to collapse, you know, 10 years worth of cloud costs into a, in a really, uh, palatable size that can go in the bottom of the product. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, serverless, uh, Lambda didn't exist in 2013. So this, this That's was right. later. So this was later. Yeah, yeah. We, we really started working on that product. That was the epiphany product that I mentioned uh, where we expanded our, our roadmap. And I think we started on that in 2016. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So is it a Python node? Uh, what, what are you actually writing? in? Yeah, we, we do almost everything in node, yeah. node.js. Uh, that's, that's been good for us. Um, and, Which has also uh, come a very long way since 2013. I mean, there was a no way mature until, you know, even that, 15, 16 kind of range there. So. Yeah, indeed. Uh, indeed it has. But, uh, but yeah, we feel good about that choice and, and uh, we've, we've been with that uh, from the beginning. Also, a lot of conversations around node and security in the last, mm-hmm. last year. So you, you almost be very cognizant of the open source communities there. How, how have you uh, conceptualized all the discussions around licensing and, you know, sort of the the tit for tat that's been going on in, in the open source world now? Uh, I don't know. We're, we're letting, letting that do what <laughs> it will, you know, we're, yeah. we've got product roadmap to worry about and, and, uh, and, and, and we're kind of staying out of the fray there for the most part. I mean, obviously uh, uh, paying attention and, uh, but, uh, but for the most part, it hasn't really, been a huge distraction for us. So you're also running for office, I see. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> well played. Well played. <laughs> well, Kent, great conversation. You know, this is this is super interesting. It's it's uh, good spending time with you, and, and thanks for having uh, joining us today. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for inviting me. Great to speak with you, and uh, and uh, keep up the good work over there. Absolutely. How can the audience experience your product? What what does everybody do, and you know, how do they get involved? Yeah, so uh, our website is yonomi.com or .co. We used to just be co. So, and yonomi is spelled Y-O-N-O-M-I. Uh, on there, you'll if, if you want to download our free consumer app, uh, you may do that. Uh, and if you've got uh, connected devices in your own home, uh, download the app. It'll automatically discover your devices and get them working together uh, in a minute or two. Uh, so we'd love for you to give that a try and give us some feedback. Um, and, uh, and if you're a developer, which I know a lot of your audience are, um, and interested in either be building smart home devices or, uh, applications or services that use the existing devices in the home, uh, you can check out some of our developer resources on the website too, for how you can leverage our platform to do those things. Oh, I'm quite sure you're going to see an uptick in, uh, in people downloading. So. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Well, Ken, thanks so much. Good spending time with you. Likewise. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io slash podcast to get in touch and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.
Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.